Hello, I'm Matt Peterson. And I'm Rich Trapier. And this is episode 51 of History on the Table. Rich, it's only been a week, but... I know. How are you? I'm good. It's, uh, you know, post, post-con week is never fun to go back to work and everything, but it was, uh, it was nice. Now, now it's just going to be a really long time before I get to go to a con again. <laughs> When I say a really long time, it's it's going to be like six months, but that's that's too long. That is too long. I'm I'm already jonesing. I mean, I think I sent out the like. All right, let's get the dates for the next thing for for our little like meetup, mm-hmm. like the day after <laughs> Monday or Tuesday. I think oh, I was yeah. pestering you guys to start considering dates. Yeah, and you sent out like the postcon survey the day after and everything. You were you were definitely ready to go for next year. Oh yeah, the best time to do planning for this. So, folks, if you're if you're not sure what we're talking about, well, one, welcome to the first episode you're listening to of History <laughs> on the Table. Or two, uh, yeah, we're talking about Historic Fest. We just wrapped that up a week ago, and a great time. But the best time to do the planning for me is is right after because that's when you know you're right in the high. You're coming off a great convention. You got great feedback. That's why I wanted to survey it out as well. It's fresh in people's minds. And it, it lets me get the feedback I need for, for planning next year. So, yeah, Rich and I and, and several others met up in Overland Park for Historic Fest, which is a four-day historical game convention, if you're unfamiliar. And so tonight's episode is going to be a little bit different. No featured game, because although Rich and I played some games together at Historic Fest, none of the games we played would be considered war games and probably would not qualify for our list. But we're going to talk about the convention. We're going to talk about what we played. We have a whole bunch of patron mail to get through. We're not going to get through every... We got a bunch of patron mail uh, for this episode, and so we're saving some for next time. And we've got a featured topic. We're going to talk about our recommended beginner historical games. And I've, I've got some thoughts on that. I've always had thoughts on, on recommending beginner games and yeah, we're going to talk a whole shit ton of historical games, and we're going to talk about everything else, and it's going to be a good time. Am I forgetting anything, Rich? Uh, if you forgot it, we'll figure it out along the way. Yeah, we'll go along. You know, I was I was kind of like looking at the rest of the calendar. We have September's episode, and then we're going into the histor- History on the Table Top 20 of All Time voting again. That time of year. It's that time of year. Yeah, last last year we started collecting in October, and, and I think we revealed them in November's episode, which just feels right. Like, what are you thankful for? How about 20 of your favorite games? So, so <laughs> you know, that's coming. Then we have our end of the year, and then we have the Historical Board Game Awards, and then we're right back to it, and then we're, we're meeting up at, at for Viking Con, and then here we go again. No complaints about any of that. No, yeah, no complaints. Keep, keep the, uh, keep the calendar rolling, wait for the next big thing, so... And man, it just like, you know, I think last episode is when we were both kind of talking like, you know, we were not the doldrums or whatever, but the summer was summertime and there's other distractions and other stuff going on. And I've the bug is back, baby. There's <laughs> a shit ton of good war gaming going on. I've been messing around with my last hundred yards stuff. I pulled out a whole bunch of ASL stuff today and I was like, oh, shit, I should play this and I should play this. And yeah, you pulled so. it out to sell it, you traitor. No, <laughs> organize, and then kind of realize this is some ASL stuff that I'm, I'm not going to play, and if I ever really got the Jones for it, or if like, oh shit, I needed that map, I'm so fortunate to have the Kansas City ASL Absolutely, game group here, yeah. because when you go to their game group, you're playing with their collection, mm-hmm. and so anything I would ever need to play will be there for the foreseeable future, which is nice, 
and then if not, then I can just play in Vassal. Yeah. But I, I do have the ASL bug uh, tagging right along the last 100 yards bug, which we're going to talk about. But before we do that, we do have some business to take care of. Rich, you have some acquisitions. I have one, but it's on. I have two, uh, two of which are on your list. But why don't you go ahead and start because you got a you got a monster list here. Yeah, almost all of these are games that I picked up last weekend in KC. So nice. I I brought some games to sell and um, I sold three or four games and then I, I bought a couple games with the money that I made from selling games and then I got a game that I picked up from the the prize table. So um, I did pick up an ASL module, Quadigare, which is the French module. Um, that's one that I did not have and it was sitting up there for a good price. I got that one. And almost every year when I come to uh, KC, I pick up the whatever their their March Madness scenarios were that they were selling from uh, the previous March Madness tournaments. So I did mm-hmm. pick up those as well. I haven't even looked at them yet. Um, last year was pretty cool. Last year was the year they had some three-player scenarios, which I haven't had the chance to play ASL against two people face to face. Yeah. I think that was two years ago. Oh, was that two years ago? I think the three player was two, two years ago. And if I'm, cause I think that was their, their COVID pack. Maybe it was. Okay. And um, anyways, but you, as you were buying the mountain pack, which mm-hmm. is it's, it's, so it's Northern Italian mountains right. and it's no, it's no Italian forces. It's us. It may be some Brits against Germans. They look great. And as you were buying it, I was like, Oh shit! Those look like great <laughs> scenarios, and so that was one of the things I was looking out today. It's like, oh yeah, I need to do this, this, and this. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a sweet pack. Uh, they did a really nice job on it. Yeah. So another game that I picked up, not really a game, but an expansion, uh, Fall in the Lake, the Fall of Saigon expansion. I got that, mm. um, which I was hesitant to get at first because the Falling Sky expansion, the Aerial Vistas, I was pretty disappointed at that one. I I just don't like it, and I never play it. But this oh. one's a little different. This one is not. It's not just like a deck of cards in another uh, faction. It's got, it takes you past the Fall of Saigon yeah. and everything. So this one looks more interesting. I'm hoping to um, get more play out of this one because uh, Fire in the Lake is my favorite coin game. So, And Fire in the Lake happened at Historic Fest. That's right. There was some people playing it. There was a couple, there was a, at least a couple coin games. I saw some people playing Pendragon. There was Fire in the Lake. Um, all bridges burning. Oh, yep, yep. That was which no one, one, no one thought to bring in the copy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, will you go home and get yours? Uh, no, I won't. Sorry, yeah. I like all of you, but I'm no, I'm not driving home to go get my <laughs> game. I uh, I brought my daughter with me to play this year, and we colluded for the prize table. I said, if uh, if you get drawn early, game. that's the game you're gonna pick. So she got drawn like third, I think, and she picked up 1914 Knock Paris. So. We're excited to give that one a try. That one comes highly recommended, and we're looking forward to playing that one. And then to uh, the the trade off on that one was she got to pick on my turn, so I picked up Labyrinth with the expansions for her, which she's excited about playing. So, yeah, real quick, I just want to I, I just want to chime in here because Knock Paris was a great grab. I I want to thank all of our sponsors, and without the sponsors, we I think we can do some really cool things at Historic Fest. You know, we gave out. We gave out the mugs this year. I'm drinking out of my mug right now. <laughs> they turned out great. But also, we're able to make sure, and it's not always a sure thing, but for the last two years, it's worked out quite nicely. Everyone goes home with a prize. Uh, it's it's not necessarily, not everyone's getting Knock Paris, but <laughs> you, get a, you get a really great chance of getting a solid game. And maybe it's in like new condition, whatever. But all of that is possible because of companies like VUCA Simulations, like GMT, 
like RGMC3i and like Multiman Publishing. And without their contributions, we wouldn't be able to make sure that everyone goes home with some awesome stuff. So I just want to take this some time at the top of the uh, the top of the episode here to to thank RBM. I said RGM, RBM Studios and C3i, GMT, MMP, and VUCA Simulations. They all did a great job and were very generous and were very very appreciative of their support. Yep, a lot of a lot of good stuff there. So um, the other game that I picked up actually just came in the mail yesterday. It was a P500 mm-hmm. and was also played at. Um, at Historic Fest, and that was Plantagenet, which I'm super yep. excited about. And even my 14-year-old, when she saw that game, she goes, what is that? And I told her about it, told her a little bit about it, and she goes, I want to play that one with you. So so we'll be playing that one. That'll come to the table pretty quickly. Yeah, Kurt and Robert were playing that game in between all their other games off and on, and every time they played, I was picking their brains about it. It sounds amazing. The yeah. whole initiative point and, and kind of the net changing value, and if you're spending points, you're giving those points back to the player, there's no sieges. Uh, you're you're winning favor in towns. Plantagenet looks already looked amazing, but just seeing it in person and getting their feedback as they're playing it live and learning it, so happy to have it. That was the the game I was alluding to. That's that's also here now as well. And Rich, I did not know this until Paco mentioned it just yesterday, that the proceeds Paco receives oh, yeah. from Plantagenets are all being donated to. I I assume and somewhere local to Paco, uh, a charity that helps kids with autism get uh, higher education and jobs, yep. which is super generous. And that's, I don't know how much money is, is behind designing a game like Plantagenet. I don't know what that entails. Billions but the, just of even, dollars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know Mitch flew out to Casey on his private jet last weekend. So yeah, I heard Mitch is buying <laughs> everyone's ticket for yeah. historic fest next year. Yeah. And we're, uh, you get, you get a hundred games. Yeah. No, we joke, but it is a very nice thing to do. And I think you talked to him more about it than I did. I just got kind of a really high level overview of the changes between that and the other games that we played in the system, but I'm very excited about it. I'm pretty sure that by this time next month, I will have at least, at least push some counters around and have it an initial impression. You know, watching the, the mail call come in, over the last week, yeah. <laughs> like seen so many Plantagenets. You know what I forgot to P five hundred? What? Simenich's North Africa. Oh, did you? I did well, not I'm, forget I'm that one. Myself. I I chose not to get that one. It was just I'm I'm getting more picky. So I know that one's going to be at miniature market. If if ever if it blows everybody away and I really want it, I'll be able to pick that one up at miniature market. That's fair. That's fair. Well, my acquisitions have been slightly less than yours i did not i did not buy anyone's stuff other than the scenario pack and i i got no prizes but that's okay now we are on equal footing with our reading it's nice to get back to some (laughs) historical reading with the next month if you're if you're unaware on to richmond 2 will be our featured game that won the patron vote so i'm finally taking the chance to read gordon reyes overland campaign series there's five books and i started the battle of the wilderness and i bought all five books like one does before you even read one of them so i was hoping they would be as good as as i thought they might be and so far it's super readable it goes into plenty of detail and right now i'm still in the battle like early stages of the battle of the wilderness so i have a long way to go in these books but it's i was worried it was going to be at a level of detail that i found like too cumbersome and, and way too much detail but it's not and the maps are useful and, and all that stuff so nice if you're looking for the overland campaign summer of 1864 basically uh so far i'm really enjoying and recommend 
the Battle of Wilderness. You'll probably hear more about it next month. Yeah, I read a book um, called Samurai, and it was um, the author is listed as Martin Kaden, but um, he uh, I think he co-wrote it with, or maybe translated with um, a Japanese pilot from World War II. So he's one of their one of their biggest aces during World War II. He had hard to say, but something like you know 40, 50, 60 air to air kills, um, and just a, a great book. I mean, it was fun to read. I like books that are like personal memoirs and, you know, really, you know, it's, it's not, it was not about at all, you know, we moved these forces from here to here. It mm. was very much, you know, he did talk about some battles and some specific dog fights and, you know, what it was like, you know, doing bombing raids and things like that. But just his memoirs of the war, um, very interesting guy, very well-written book. Um, I loved it so much that, I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot of prodding, but Empire of the Sun is, is going back on the table now. Cause, oh. Or not not Empire of the Sun. Um, Pacific uh, War? Pacific War, yeah. Empire oh, of the Sun, I, I might play that one soon too, but Pacific War, yeah. Reading this just made me want to play that game again. So, um, like I said, it doesn't take a whole lot, but the one thing I will say, so I did listen to this one on Audible. It is one of the worst audible listens that oh. I think I've ever heard. Like this is one of the few that I've been like, this book is a five. The narration is like a one or a two. It was okay. just, it was just awful. So if you listen to it on audible, it's still worth listening to, but it's, it's just bad. So great book though. I highly recommend it. Yeah. High praise. If the narration is terrible, yeah. <laughs> but it still incites you to, to pull out Pacific war and like get all fired up for it. Mm -hmm. that, that must say something about the book at least. Yeah, it was great. All right, before we dive into everything we did at Historic Fest this year, have you been playing anything over the month other than the things you played at Historic Fest? Yes, just a little bit. Um, so barely got into it, but I've got a game we just started up online of the U.S. Civil War. Oh, yeah. So getting that one going, like we're like literally in the the first impulse of the first turn. I think I think he started a battle with me, and I did not try to retreat. So. I'm playing the North, so I'm like, nope, I can take the losses better than you can. So you get me outnumbered, but let's fight. So we're early on in that one, but hopefully we'll play through that one. And hopefully I'll make it more than three turns before the goalposts get so far I can't reach them anymore. Um, and then another game that I've been playing, this is one that I've had for a while. And I think, I'm pretty sure it was pre-COVID that I went over to... So, the game I'm talking about is Barlev, um, and the designer is a guy named Chris Fawcett, who's a, a friend here in St. Louis. Um, he's done a few other games, but this is, I think this is his latest one. Um, but I went over to his house, and we actually, there were four of us, we were all getting ready to play. We spent one night doing the entire setup and everything, and then... I can't remember what happened, but we didn't end up playing the game. So I've had the game for a while, never actually got to play it, um, but I'm playing it just solitaire right now. So it's um, it's a game of the 1973 uh, Israel war versus uh, Syria and Egypt. And it's actually, it's a two mapper, but each map is, is separated. So you've got a, a Golan map and a, a Suez Canal map. Um, and you can play either one separately or you can play them both together and there's rules about moving forces in between. But right now I'm just playing the Golan side, Solitaire, and um, just sort of learning the game since I never actually got to play it. It's not really super complicated. Um, it, I think it kind of looks heavier than it is. It's 
but it's good. I think part of the reason is it has two complete sets of counters, one which has NATO symbols and one has, has silhouettes on it, which is... <laughs> I remember even at the time, I'm like, that's, I've never seen that before, Chris. That's weird that you would do that. And he said, yep, well, that's the way we're doing it. So you have a choice. Um, you just have to make sure, obviously, you don't use both and get twice as many units. Um, so We have to I'm, justify the extremely high <laughs> board game prices somehow, I yeah, guess. Yes, it is a compass game. <laughs> so right. it's not a game that I would have pre or Well, I might have if, if I had played it with Chris but, or whatever. But um, yeah, I, I don't have enough to say about it yet because I'm just barely into it. But... I'm I'm gonna keep playing this one on Vassal, um, and I'm I'm reading a book about the Arab-Israeli wars now, and I just got done watching uh, Valley of Tears, which is about the Golan Front of that war on HBO Max. So I just kind of dove into that era of history right now, and I'll I'll play around with that for a while. Very good, very good. And we have a BCS game in that same title. Yeah, right? that one's coming. Uh, that one's called Valley of Tears. Yep. Yeah, yeah, same yeah. title as, as the HBO show, as the right, series, right. not not uh, yeah. not not Chris's game. Yeah, yeah, very good. Uh, that's that's awesome. I I'm so unfamiliar with that period of history that I'm sure once the BCS title comes out, I I plan on doing a yeah much what you're doing, which is a little deep dive, quick it, and fast, and it's hard pretty and fascinating. Deep. And I mean, obviously they're all related, but especially the '67 and the '73 wars are really two acts of the same play. So. Well, good. All right. I've had one thing on the table. I'm going to say really talking about it, but I, I, I guess what I'll say is I'm riding the the high on last hundred yards. Yeah, I, you got to I've play been, the big one. I did. And so I've been messing around with the design your own battle stuff. Okay. And I've never done that. Yeah, neither have I. But I'm I'm feeling some, after playing around with the Russians, which I initially did not pre-order the Russians. Um, and now I am ordering the Russians because I had such a good time. But in, in the meantime, while they come here, I'm, I'm messing around with and, and trying to come up with how I can. There are no finished counters, but I, there's things that I can make work, right? Like I can use some <laughs> some Germans or something like that. But before I get too far into that, let's just talk Historic Fest. And, and where I want to start is I just, the thing I love most about Historic Fest and we're only into our third true year, right? We had one year of, of next work on, but even then it's, it's the returning faces and mm-hmm. it's the returning faces that aren't just like Kansas city folks. And then it's the like new faces that are, you know, are going to be re- return faces. And I'm not going to name everyone because I know I would le- leave people out. Um, but there were, there were local people and people drove down from like Minnesota and stuff that were listeners of the show. And it was, even if they were there for just a little brief amount of time, uh, it was, it was really with a convention that size, I am able to just about talk to everyone and that's awesome. And I enjoy that. And I enjoy the people who make a point to come back each year. And I enjoy being able to play. I played games with so many different people this year and that was, that was solid. And it was legit. You're a good host, and you put up with Hey Matt's well. Well, there's there's not that many, <laughs> which is which is nice. I'm able to play games and then just pop up when I need to. But just want to thank everyone for for a, a great year. Let's 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 be bigger and even better next year. Uh, what I'll say is, uh, costs go up every year, and that sucks. And I will always do my best to keep our costs down i think we're very for what you get of going into historic fest i think we're extremely competitively priced just looking at other conventions that are happening at the same time less days less stuff uh so 
we'll do our best but already uh well i sent requests for proposals out last week and they're coming in and it's just like oh my god so we'll do our best and we'll, we'll find what works and and we'll be back but when we come back i want to be even bigger and better that being said anything else you want to say like big picture stuff or anything before we dive into what we played mm, no no let's talk about games okay cool so we this year you and i got to play some games together which is awesome I guess we did last year. Did we play Brother in Unity last year? No, I played Dawn and Bill. Yeah, I did not play that with you last year. Okay. I don't know well, if I played a game with you last year. I can't remember that far back. Yeah, me either. But <laughs> we played, and we've talked about this for several months, we played Founding Fathers, the Rick Kelly design. This is the older Founding Fathers title from 2007, not the Jason Matthews more recent 2010 game. This is a multiplayer game based off republic of rome mm-hmm. and if you're unfamiliar with Pu- republic of rome the whole game the premise is you are electing leaders and of course with founding fathers you're electing a vice president and a president republic of rome you're you're doing other stuff but the president will resolve a matter of issues and it's four issues for the president he'll flip them over and appoint cabinet members and either the president deals with it or he has to appoint it to Secretary of Treasury, Secretary of War, Secretary of State, that individual, whoever's appointed, has to have enough political capability to to accomplish that task. And then most of the time it goes up for vote in Congress. And you can use either your inherent capability or you can spend some of the influence that you have been accumulated or that someone gave to you. Yes. And all usually your vote is going to be spending treasury you're going to spend your reserves you're probably negative in your reserves you're increasing and decreasing your revenue and and there's consequences all that you're admitting states to the union you're voting on the war of 1812 and how to address it and all, all kinds of things that our country faced in its infancy and then you go and you do a presidential election and then you just rinse and repeat until you either play through three decks or the company collapse or not the company the country collapses because of thinking of john co already yeah yeah exactly (laughs) collapses because of the you go to civil war or you go bankrupt Mm -hmm. or you survive all the way i think i can for me personally republic of rome is one of the best gaming experiences i ever had i loved our day on saturday just right out the gate this doesn't have the zest and the spice of Republic of Rome, I think it lacks the tension. And there's just so much voting. And it's weird that like your personalities like all have two conservatives and two liberals. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Republic of Rome, you're like a block of senators' families. So you're always you should be acting selfishly in Republic of Rome. And you should be acting selfishly in Founding Fathers, but it's kind of weird, like well, these two statesmen wouldn't really act that way. Right. So I, I loved our time together, but I, it's not it's not Republic of Rome. Yeah, I'm more or less on the same page. I, I don't want to overstate the case. I did not hate this game. Yeah, right. Um, I would probably play it again at some point, but I would definitely say that I was disappointed in it. Um, yeah. I was expecting something at the level of Republic of Rome, but with U.S. history that you know, I'm more intimately acquainted with. So um, I, I was disappointed in it but it was still i mean it was it was not great but it was good i think the number one thing that was missing for me was tension yeah and and there's so much customization you can do which and i and i knew a little bit of this going into it because if you go to board game geek there's there's several threads about changes people have done and, and people have done this and tweak that yeah and we were talking about house rules while we were playing and some of them even 
Like we're half the table said, yes, this should be a house rule. And the other half is like, no, that should not be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically, like, when should you appoint cabinet? Should mm-hmm. you appoint them as soon as you become president or as the issues come up? And the, the designer has intentionally said, I didn't say which way to do that because I think it's interesting to the players. Yeah. I, I think there's just also I know you vote on everything in Republic of Rome. You also just about vote on everything here, too. It just never felt as yeah do or die. One thing you don't vote on here, though, is cabinet members. Right. Which is weird because, I mean, I think uh, I think Mike and I both felt very locked out of the game, which, you know, is another reason that it was just a little disappointing. But there's nothing we could do. I mean, if... If, if a block emerges on one side of the table, they just appoint all their friends cabinet members and there's literally nothing we can do about it. Well, but what's interesting about that is like reading the table. So one, that can happen in Republic of Rome. It's super easy. Yeah, I felt much more engaged in Republic of Rome. Maybe it was four players versus six players too. Right. I don't know. This takes a step to make sure you are including players. So you have to appoint, except for one position, you have to appoint within your party. So if right. you're a liberal president, you have to appoint liberal statesmen. And even then, like reading the table, we do a round, and Mike, I don't think, got a cabinet position. I was like, well, I'm going to give him a cabinet position. It's like, get everyone making decisions early in the game. We're going to be playing this all day. And I gave him Secretary of Treasury, which I think had three of my four issues that round. Mm-hmm. And even then, it's like, okay, I do this, and then we go to vote. The voting, I don't know what it was. I, I don't know what it was. We could like spend all night like debating ways to, to fix this. And I just don't know if it's if it's when you have a, a play a, gr- a table of six players, and it's hard to know what to negotiate for in those games. Like if yeah. we were six new people playing Republic of Rome, I don't. You don't. If someone's not directing you, you don't necessarily know what to negotiate. Yeah. And I would put this game in in the same group of games. So, like, this game, Republic of Rome, and John Company all feel similar enough to me that I would I would block them together and say they all scratch the same itch. Yeah. And I would just, I would put this third on the list. Oh, I agree. So, I mean, it's not that I wouldn't play it again. Um, it's not that I would say it's a bad game. It's just one of those games that uh, it's it's never going to be my first choice if I have a choice of playing one of those other two. Yeah, I'm I'm there with you it, unless I want to do this time period. Yeah, and then it would it would involve some probably some pretty heavy house rules, and yeah, some tweaks. But I we're being harsh on it. I loved the day, and it's gorgeous. I mean, the cards are beautiful. It just it looks good on the table. Yeah, I, I really like I don't think everyone liked it as much as me. I love the presidential election system. It's like this area control where you block people off mini game. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was such a good puzzle. I know Keith one time like, well, Keith, if you go that way, we're going to have the same result we've had for the last four rounds because with how the, like we hadn't voted in any new states. And so right. it's like, well, we're going to have the same result if you vote that same way. If you do it this way, you're going to get president. And like I loved puzzling that out. Um, and maybe everyone else didn't, but I, I did like that little mini game in there. Yeah. Yeah. That only issue with that one is that it did go the exact same way. And I think it even went the same way with the vice presidents, both vice presidential nominees, one president and vice president, a few turns in a row. And I mean, it's, it was trying to model the weirdness of the system before they fixed it. But if, if you can call it fixed <laughs> until, yeah, until I, I pointed out to Keith, if you start with a vice president, instead of one from 
Virginia, yeah. if you start with someone in the north, you can win this election and, and have much more power. But it's yeah. like, yes, if you keep if we keep doing the same thing, we're gonna have the same result no right. matter <laughs> which way we skin this cat, it's the same result. All right. That's Founding Fathers. That's like Yeah, we keep talking about that. It's gonna be our featured game of the month. <laughs> right. Except there's no war and the war is in the war in Republic of Rome is abstracted but it's it's a much more important thing like you're raising troops it's and, way better too way yeah. better handled in republic of rome yeah yeah this is yeah anyways that's enough about founding fathers it's good it's enjoyable but if you have access to republic of rome or you like john company i agree 100 percent with rich then maybe pick those unless you unless you want to do some role playing in the founding of of america we played uh, like two or three games of Pax Pamir together. Yeah, I think together. we played three, and a different person won every game. And we've we've talked about Pax Pamir game. This is a Pax game. You're using, you're drafting from a tableau and deploying cards to, I would say like deploy tribes and influence into across three factions with different scoring conditions popping up, and and you're buying and, and manipulating cards to put yourself in the best position at the cost of everyone else. This is set in Afghanistan. And it's uh, Pax Premier Rocks. It was great to play it in person. Yeah. And it was great to play. I mean, we played with four people and everybody knew the game. So we were able to rip off three games in like two hours or something. We played three games of Pax Premier and the length it took the table next to us to play one yeah. four player <laughs> game of Pax Porfiriana. Yeah. So it was good. I love Pax Premier. I like Pax Porfiriana too, but Premier is better. Yeah. I would I'd love to play Porf. I'm glad. So that was Friday morning, and mm-hmm. I kind of left my Friday morning open just to see like when like what registration was going to be like. And Matt dropped popped into BCS all week, and so I was like, "Oh, there's a spot in Pax Premier, and I'm, I'm going to take it." And <laughs> yeah. then uh, yeah, we had a great game with your daughter and and Jade. Mm-hmm. It was great to meet Jade. He's a Kansas City guy, and I I think he really enjoyed Pax Premier. Yeah, that's good stuff. All right. You played a different Whirly Yeah, finally game. I got to play a game that wasn't with you. You kept bothering me all weekend. Uh, no, I got to play a game of John Company, which yes. uh, is amazing. I think I think we played this one six-player, too, which I've never done that. So um, that was great. Usually I play this with three, I think, is probably my average number of players on that one. So, um, And we played uh, the not the intro scenario, but the middle one. So we did not have crown protection, which makes mm. it a little more perilous. Mm-hmm. Um, we did right. It was only a couple of turns before the end of the game, but we did uh, vote in deregulation. Um, nice. And so that's the first time I got to play with that. Um, this was another, it was actually kind of weird too, because similar to finding, well, finding fathers. I, I mean, I had some offices. I got elected president one time, John company. I played the whole game without ever holding an office. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was just weird things. Like, I mean, my writers were getting killed from stuff in India and just a lot of weird things happened. Um, so obviously I didn't do well, but I still had a great time on that one. I, even without ever holding an office, I had a better time playing John Company than to do a Founding Fathers. And I was really glad that we've, that I finally got to see how deregulation works. Um, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. So that was fun. Nice. So Friday night after, after Bill, the, so the ending I should have mentioned the ending to our founding fathers is Bill thought he had the game won and intentionally manipulated Rich <laughs> into passing some kind of resolution on the War of eighteen twelve. If Rich had ignored it, we would have survived. <laughs> Bill thought he was going to win. Uh, of course, uh, what ended up happening is is Keith won by like a landslide. He had he had more of the popularity. I actually like 
did the worst because I had the most votes. So the the doom of the country fell on me because I had the most <laughs> statesmen. Yeah. Uh, actually, Emmy had more states than me, but I just had more more votes. But anyways, Bill thought for sure he had the win in the bag and bankrupted the company or country, and then uh, promptly lost. So yeah, but the funny worst. thing was, you know, you get to the okay, the country's bankrupt. Now we go through these steps to end the game. And like the first step is the president loses five popularity because of course the president's going to lose popularity if the country goes bankrupt. (laughs) And and the look on Bill's face when he just went, oh, I did not see that part. (laughs) Uh, It was pretty, pretty great. So once Bill did that and I missed the first game of Station Fall, because I told him, I was like, no, I th- we're going to be going all night with this. Don't don't wait for me on Station Fall. I miss Station Fall, which looks amazing. Uh, I I sat down to listen to Mike Denson do a demo of Last 100 Yards to be brushed up to play Last 100 Yards all day Saturday. And the individual learning Last 100 Yards from Mike had another thing. He was getting ready for Virgin Queen the next day. And I said, Mike, you got these out. Let's play. Let's play. And the one-on-one with Mike Denson in his game – is just always fascinating. Oh, I, yeah. I could hear that guy talk about it nonstop. And I, I mean, I did all weekend. <laughs> and we, we went to dinner with him, heard amazing stories. But he just knows so much about his game, and he's so passionate about it. And the way he thinks about game design is so interesting. So the nuance in last 100 yards I learned from Mike and the the shedding of – not baggage. Baggage is too hard, just harsh. The, the things I've learned from ASL – that are generally good advice in ASL, you know, spread, yep. spread your stacks stack. out if you're advancing. <laughs> you don't, you, you kind of, you're not penalized for stacking in last hundred yards. And if you stack properly, you can kind of protect your weaker units and you should charge forward with your best units. Cause it's, it's harder to have, you know, an effect against them. And so getting that kind of night demonstration from Mike was brilliant because that ended up mattering because the next day our Russian left flank, which we took most of the game, we had a German player, two German players, two Russian players at different times. We had three German players, German players run the defense on this big monster scenario. That's going to be printed in the Russian module. Highly recommended. The Russians are, are very fascinating. They have like a command radius completely different than, than what you're used to in last hundred yards. They they're very similar to the Japanese and how they take losses. They're they're very fun to play against. I did not play as them. And anyways, the person I was playing directly opposed to had to step out, and so Mike stepped into his shoes, and I said, Mike, do not pull your punches. <laughs> and we had just a great opener. And if you're unfamiliar with last hundred yards, everything is based so much on the initiative. And how yeah. well you've positioned your forces, because if you don't win the initiative, if you can't see anything happening, you're very limited in how you can move around the board. Just because you know the objective is at the other end of the board doesn't mean you can start heading towards that objective unless you have a leader as someone there giving you orders. It's it's brilliant, and it works really well. And so we had some key initiative roles, Nate and I, and we played aggressively. Turns out we should have been more aggressive with our armor. Like we're like, all right, let's be really aggressive with our infantry, and then we have these great elite tanks, and we left them back all game. And then like afterwards, when we, when we decompressed, I was like, Mike, what would you have done different? Like I I told him I said I really liked our opener, but here's where I think things went wrong. What would you have done differently? And he's like, well, right from the get go, how you used your armor by just like leaving them in reserve. And I was like, that makes perfect sense. Anyways, Mike took over. 
and getting some of those nuances. I'm not saying I played great, but I had Mike Denson cursing several times throughout that game. I had these guys set up on a hill, and he threw everything he could at those guys on a hill, and he could not dislodge them. And he's cursing every turn he misses a shot. And just because what you're trying to do as the Germans is you're slowing down the Russians, and eventually the Russians get like a whole other guard company, and, and you're kind of advancing towards the rear as the Germans as long as you can and holding out. And we really bogged them down. Yeah, the fan. Fantastic day. Yeah, the first time I ever met Mike, he we brought him into St. Louis for a day with a designer. I think you were there, weren't you? Yeah, I came yeah, up you for came that. to St. Louis. So at the end of the day, after we had all played some games, and this is the first time any of us had ever played the game, but he sat down. I think we played a two versus two game. Yeah, I played and, that game with you. Yeah, yeah. It was you, me, I think it was Mitch and Bruce. Mitch. Or maybe I can't remember. But yeah, so we all played together and he taught us. My point in saying this is if you have never played last hundred yards with Mike, you absolutely should like yep. come to KC, sign up, play with Mike. Even if you don't like world war two games, you don't like tactical games, no matter what play his game with him. And you will be glad that you did. What I, what I love is when people like question Mike's game design choices, whether they're like, an ASL player or yeah. why, why do you do that? Even if it's just like an innocent, why his reasons make sense. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's that's a 50 yard hex. You're three hexes away. There's grass, there's little shrubs, there's increase and decrease in elevation. No one's making that shot at 200 yards. So we don't have to worry about, you know, stopping you while you run across. It's you figure it out at then. And he, he just, he's thought about those in ways that, if I were designing a tactical game, it would be hard not to think in the terms of ASL and ATS and Band right. of Brothers and everything. And he doesn't. He and he's played them. I guarantee it. He's played tons of games. Oh yeah, he started with ASL. I mean, and we've talked about this. He wasn't trying to make ASL light, but what he was trying to do is scratch that ASL itch in a lighter, what you know he considers a, a better, more approachable game. Yeah, and a more of a focus on command and control of the battlefield. And so we did that from 10.30, I believe, through dinner. And so I missed the second station fall game, but I have no regrets. <laughs> it motivated me to get the Russians, and I just, that whole deep dive of a day, I could have I kept going. We, we eventually called it, and... Mike's Mike kind of finally broke through and I'm sure if we kept playing it out you know if you're playing against the designer I'm sure he was gonna have it um the Russian right flank which is played by Les love seeing Les each year was getting bogged down but I I think with pressure on the left he would have been through in no time as well um so that's the last hundred yards more specifically that's the last hundred yards the the new Russian module which is uh, i believe that's now available I, I think it was in the shipping delays like like everything else mm-hmm. and uh loved it yeah and they just announced another one for king and country for king and country which i believe mitch was telling me has a beach landing scenario which is oh cool yeah very very interesting and i'm i'm gonna keep riding this last hundred yards wave i know we always talk about like it's not played enough it's too low on our list and with how fresh it is in my mind and the nuances I picked up from Mike, it's like that's why I'm like I'm staying on top of this shit. I'm I'm playing as much last hundred yards as I can. Hard to do solo with you know uh, dummy counters and stuff like that, but I'm just 
I'm 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 like thinking of the story in my head when I do that. Like I know they're there, but like this is the story unfolding before me, so I just kind of play dumb and be like, "Oh, well they would still go this way." <laughs> it was awesome. If you can't tell with just like how I wouldn't say like I'm jumping out of my seat or anything, but like when I get talky about things is usually when I'm really excited about things. And the fact that I've been blabbering on about this for so long, it, it was phenomenal. It was just really a great way. That's what I want out of a convention. All day playing one thing, wouldn't change anything about it. Now, on Sunday, before we were done, you got a little demonstration. Uh, I did. We got to play a new game. So this is one. We talked about it when the kickstart was up. I know you mentioned it. And I think you, you kickstarted Latoro Commander, didn't you? Yeah, it wasn't Kickstarter. It was through Deeds Foundation. Yeah, but it was. Yeah, yeah, it was the same kind of thing though. So, but yes. Yeah, so I did not at the time. I was interested in it, but it was just one of those ones. I was like, oh, I'm going to wait and see on this one. So I was really glad I got a chance to play this one. It's a modern uh, war game. Um, this one was set in. Uh, oh, where was this? Like South South it's Philippines, I think. I think it was yeah. Luzon Peninsula. Um, so, and it was, it was, we just played the intro scenario. So it was very basic U.S. Is, U.S. versus China, but even just at that intro scenario, you could see the bones of the game were good. I mean, it was, it was interesting. Uh, it was a two versus two scenario, which, uh, I didn't look through the whole book, but I, I think that's sort of the goal of the system is to model teamwork among, uh, you know, so obviously you don't, you can play it one versus one, but I think it's always going to play better two versus two or three, three or three, two or whatever you have multiplayer, um, forcing some teamwork among the allies. So, um, it's just, it, it really plays well. There's a lot in it that we did not use because it was an introductory scenario, but you can sort of upgrade your units with, you can spend command points to get, you know, better equipment and you can do mm -hmm. more things. And I think there was only maybe, I think there was 14 total counters on the map, seven per side. Each side had a destroyer and three battalions, I guess. Um, so again, it wasn't super complicated, but it played really well and it was a lot of fun to the point where I think I will probably either pick this one up or the, the second game in the system, which is coming out. That's in the Baltic, yes. Yeah. So this yeah. is Indo-Pacific. Yep. And yeah, it does have a Luzon map. And then the Baltic's coming out. And one of the things you talked about is those command points either using them for the cards which are going to give you the technologies and, and we when we interviewed sebastian bay like that whole idea is what sold me on this game and mm -hmm. then the fact that you're like then you're sacrificing that to not take commands right like exactly right uh so i'm i'm glad you got to got to see it demoed it, the first time i got to i like i have my copy but i haven't set it up on the table and so i got to very briefly glance over and, and see that played and yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I think all four of us had a good time playing it, so that was good. Awesome. So I kicked off the convention with a game of Twilight Struggle Red Sea Conflict in the Horn of Africa. So this is small Twilight Struggle. It's mm -hmm. basically if you just, well, it's Middle East and Africa, but there's also just two areas of influence. You can influence Africa, you can influence the Middle East, and there's some, like, some locations that that share in in both regions and there's some like the sea lanes and stuff like that but it's it's focused and one of my one of the reasons twilight struggle has never worked for me 
It's the same reason why a time of crisis doesn't work for me is I'm doing this thing over here and then I got to do this stuff way over here and it just feels disjointed. Like I'm focused in the Middle East. Oh, I got to go deal with something in France now. And I get it. It's a global game, global scale, Cold War, fine. But the fact that Red Sea confines it to these two areas and, and just really limits to where you're taking activations. It's Twilight Struggle, folks, but it's it's Twilight Struggle very condensed. I really liked it. Unless there's like a very strong reason why, this will be my Twilight Struggle that I play going forward. And we were done in 15 minutes. I don't know. There was, there was nothing to play. It was super easy to learn and pick up. Loved it. Really recommend Twilight Struggle Red Sea. So curious, um, getting off track here, but um, you liked Imperial Struggle. Did you I like did. it because it's fewer areas? It's only four instead of, I don't know how many Twilight has, six or seven or whatever. Yeah, I, that's that's a good point. I don't know why I that wasn't an issue for me. It just, I guess it never felt as disjointed. Yeah. I guess maybe some of the India stuff felt a little kind of removed from everything else but i i distinctly remember like more focusing on 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 america and stuff but yeah that's a good point i don't know it, for whatever reason it never felt as disjointed and i i think with twilight struggle it's disjointed and it's like like you lose so much progress you know it's like yeah okay I, i'm doing this thing okay i have to do something in europe and by the time i get back to the middle east it's like all reset back to zero <laughs> you know yeah. it's just like one oh, thing shit. that's nice about imperial struggle too is you know where the wars are going to be yep so that's yep. kind of like knowing where the scoring cards are coming yep yeah what's interesting is we didn't even have the scoring cards come up in our game like it's not guaranteed that you're going to see them you're going to score at the end of the game like you had them uh but it's completely optional whether they're going to come up or not just with how the how the decks are they're in the late war um and so it's not a guarantee that you'll get them which was cool i i really liked it i if you didn't see my twitter post you can fit it <laughs> you can fit twilight struggle red flag over paris and flashpoint south china sea all in the same box if you just throw out all the the playbooks are good like the red flag over paris playbook is great but once you've read through it like i don't know I, I guess I have mine still, but it's going to get pitched. And then, like, all the solo shit that I could... I'm not playing Twilight Struggle Red Sea to play it solo. I'm playing it because it's a quick playing game that I can play with two people. Like, I'm just pitching all the solo shit. I could care less. So, yeah. if you're okay with that, all of that fits in the Flashpoint box very nicely. It, like, split up the cards in a couple little baggies so it doesn't bulge or anything like that. Jam it all in there. And just sigh at how overproduced those games are because it's ridiculous. <laughs> and if Flashpoint didn't have a big ass map for no ass no reason, then they could have fit in the <laughs> the uh, Twilight Struggle box. But that Flashpoint map is too tall for no reason. Sorry, great games, like them all, but just hate how overproduced they are. Uh, the other game I played was actually kind of a surprise. We weren't planning on it. It was a, actually it turned into a, like a late Saturday night game, um, mm -hmm. which was fun, but. Uh, we played Pericles, which my history with Pericles is that it was the last face-to-face -face game I played before COVID. So we had uh, me and a couple local guys used to get together once a week and um, we were we had 
played a couple turns of it. So we were like just starting to get into it. Um, we were playing three player with a bot. So it's a four faction game, um, but there are bots. So you can play anywhere from one to four players. Obviously, it's always going to be best with no bots and four players. But, you know, you can use the bots if you only have three. So um, just kind of put the game away. Didn't really think about it for three years. And <laughs> it was always something I wanted to come back to. Um I noticed Francisco Colmenero has been playing it. He got me thinking about it again. And I was like, yeah, I really need to go back and play that game. So Mike had it set up on the table. Mike Denson, Mike Heckman. And and we we played, I think we played two turns of it just to sort of remember how to play. And it's a really good game. I like it so much. Um, It was interesting because we played this game, I'm going back to pre-COVID, we played this game right after we played Churchill. And none of us really liked Churchill. And Pericles is like all the good stuff of Churchill with, and it's just so much better though. So Pericles is an interesting game because it's, it's a four player game. Um, but part of it is two versus two. So you play two Athenians and two Spartans. So there's a, uh, a political time where you, you sort of vote on issues and, and vote on who's going to take control of what you do during the upcoming war time. And it's not necessarily war, but, sort of is um sometimes you're just going to war with the allies sometimes you're going to war with greek and sparta um so which at the end of the game whichever side has won the war either greece or sparta one of those players will win the game and it's whether whatever player on that team has the highest honor so so you cannot win the game without winning the war but you can certainly you can have a lot of honor and still lose the game so um it's it was really good um it comes back pretty quickly once we played a turn. And that's why we wanted to play another turn right away. We're like, well, let's do it again. Now that we know what we're doing. Um, and I think Mike and Mitch, and I think we're going to try to find a fourth and play it over at Mike's house some Saturday coming up. Yeah. Too bad. Amy's back at school. Well, I mean, she sure could probably it. join us. It's she'd go Columbia to, to Wentzville isn't far. Oh, nice. Good. It looked great. I would, that was the night. That was a, a rowdy night for, for me. Was that the uh, same Saturday. night as that, that space game? No, no. Well, the space game happened two nights. That happened Friday. Okay. Uh, Station Fall happened Friday and Saturday night. Okay. But uh, we'll get to that rowdy game <laughs> and the other games like 1832, the sports stuff, all that stuff in a little bit. But we kind of had a break like, okay, here's the definitive historical stuff we played. We're going to answer some questions. We have our featured topic. We're going to talk about beginner games, all that stuff. But stick around for the rest of the stuff that we played at Historic Chris because we're not done with it. But, Rich, we got a question about a month or so ago from a listener that I thought was a good point from Always Derek. Good question, yep. What are our recommended beginner games? And so I think this is probably in, in terms of, and the email was worded different, so, sorry, Derek, and so that's why I'm assuming here. Talking historical, war, hex encounter, whatever games we're not talking about, like how Ticket to Ride is a great hobbyist game to get into, although it is. <laughs> Here's my caveat that I always have, and I've said this so many times. If you are, one, willing to put in the work or you have a willing teacher, I think anything can be your learning game. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the first point is first thing I would want to do is if you get into war games is first question is, do you have someone that that is willing to teach you? And so let's let's say you don't. And also, let's say that they don't want to put in the work of learning the u.s civil war which yeah. i always use is i dove balls deep <laughs> in the u.s civil war right off the bat and played it so wrong but i loved it 
So the first question I would ask myself is, what topic are you interested? In? It it drives me not nuts. It's a pet peeve when people say, "Oh, Cuba Libre is the best beginner coin," <laughs> because it's the lightest or what? I don't even know why they pick it. I, I don't think Cuba Libre is a good game, but it's like no, stop. Because although I find the topic of Cuba Libre fascinating doesn't mean everyone else is and so the thing you should use to introduce people is what interests them the most if they're like hey i want to play a vietnam game and you're like oh well let me tell you about these coin games and then you're like and we should play cuba libre because it's because best beginner game it's like shouldn't you play find the lake even if it's the most difficult one it's like interest is going to be the main driver here mm-hmm. yep 100 percent agreed we don't both need to be on this podcast anymore because we have to say the same thing how dare you <laughs> you need to be here because all right, fine. Those are right, the easy so outs. Now we need to actually mention some games. Right, and that's that's where I'm going. All of that being said, which is anything can be a beginner game if you want to put in the work in. Just know you're probably going to make st- mistakes and you're going to bash your head against it. Or like ASL, that could be a beginner game if you have someone teaching you and taking you step by step. Okay, fine. Then you're going to go, okay, what topic interests you most? And then finally, you're going to dive into games. And... The easiest for me is if someone is truly a beginner, then I think you should be looking at something like Commands and Colors, like Memoir 44. One, it's tanks and dudes on a map and cool pieces of artillery, and it's easy and fun, and you're just chucking dice, and it scratches enough of the Hex Encounter war game itch that it's like, you could just tell them, like, this is just the surface, and this tactically is the easiest... But what if someone's like, no, I want I want to really experience war games or historical games. Like, what would you go to first, Rich? I think if somebody really, they want something that feels like a heavier war game. You know, it feels like a real hex encounter game. I think I'd tell them to pick an SCS game yeah. that appeals to them. I, because that's those where are I was... going to have, they're going to have your combat results table. They're going to have hex encounter movement. They're going to have terrain effects. They're going to have all of the things that you will see in the heavier games. They're going to have a procedural, you know, turn. Yes. I was going to go there too. And I think that ties into the topic choice as well, because there's so many SCS games. Mm -hmm. If they're like, I don't want to do World War II. Great. You can do Cold War. You can do Arab-Israeli War. Yep. There's there's lots of choices and usually they're pretty cheap. They're not super counter dense all the time. That's not always the case, um, but it, it covers a wide enough range. And mm-hmm. I think kind of right. So just so you listeners know, what we're going to do this month is talk about like true beginner games. And the next month we're going to say, all right, what are our favorite? Uh, because Derek asked both beginner and next step intermediate games, whatever you want to call them. I think Simonich's Zokbon flirts with being a beginner game. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, it's it's procedural. It's not an overly complex rule book. Probably depends on the game, too. Um, I mean, some of them, like Arden and um, uh, A Bridge Too Far. Not, it's not called A Bridge Too Far. What's it called? What's here? Oh, Holland? Holland? Yeah, 44? Holland 44 yeah. and Arden. Those both have a lot of exceptions that I would be wary putting a new person in because they're literally like this specific unit gets to do these things on these turns. And that's, that is to say you don't have to play the game perfectly either. you know, it's not like 
Not like if you mess it up, the game isn't good. But those are the kind of things I would be a little careful about with the Zocbond. I don't remember seeing any of those when we did um, the Italy one a couple months ago. But I do remember those specifically with both the Arden and the the uh, Holland game. Yeah, I think Salerno, Salerno is the, the one you're thinking of. And that, yeah. that would be the one. There's no reason not to pick Salerno as, as your uh, introduction game. Yeah. Okay. What if they're like, I want, well, like one, I want to learn more about these card driven games or I want to do something that's not World War II. So they're actually, I was going to give and go another direction. Uh, let's talk about cards first since you brought it up. Sure. I, I think there's card driven games are a great way to introduce someone into the historical side of the hobby because, mm-hmm. and, and we talked about this with Wilderness War, where Wilderness War is kind of obtuse in what you need to do. You could probably pick a better intro game, but just the mechanics of, okay, here's this card, and you can either do what the card says or you get these points, and, and here's what you can do with the points. And I think that just opens up a, a whole bunch of different things uh, or, or game possibilities. So you could do caesar rome versus gaul yeah i think that plays very fast i think it plays faster than hannibal versus hamilcar i'm not a fan of it but maybe washington's war or gosh twilight struggle red red sea what a great like hey this is going to take us 20 minutes and this is a common mechanic that you'll see in games where you can use for points or the event yada yada why not do twilight struggle red sea you're going to be in and out and you're going to be done so my if someone wanted to play a card-based game, I would probably go with Twilight Struggle, Red Sea. But if they wanted more, then I would look at something like Caesar Rome versus Gaul. I think that's a pretty decent, although a little bit heavier beginner game, but I think someone would be fine if they dove in there. Yeah, that's fair. Um, the other thing I might suggest is um, a naval game, something simpler like Oak and Iron. Um, where, you know, you don't have to worry about hexes and counters at all. You've got an open sea map and you get the little movement templates and, you know, you've got some freedom to move your ships around and just roll some dice and shoot at each other. Nice. Yeah. You know, another one I was, I was, I was turning around on my shelf here, like Brotherhood and Unity, if you have three players is not too yeah. hard to learn. Nope. Uh, Bayonets and Tomahawks, one, yeah. another card based one, not too hard to learn. Not as obtuse as uh, Wilderness War. Wilderness War is the better game in my opinion, but I think Bayonets and Tomahawks is probably a little bit easier to learn. Yeah. Look, Hissel Starter Kit, if you put in the work, is I don't think it's that bad, but maybe that's that's probably more intermediate. Um, something like Band of Brothers, then, if you're like, oh, I want to be tactical and, and do small troop stuff. I learned Band of Brothers early on, and I, I think that's a pretty good game like i self-taught that one on myself before i was like really deep into war games and that was i think that's a fine one to to do as well i think worthington has a number of uh yep. simple-ish tactical type games as well yeah and those aren't games and they well i mean they have lots of war game i mean block games so like you you could do the columbia block games i think some of those like camera the scots is a great introductory game i wouldn't do rommel uh, Rommel is way different than any of the other Columbia block war games, but um, yeah, um, not Columbia. Who did you just say? Worthington. Worthington. Worthington has lots of little like civil war games that I think are a little lighter than what I'm looking for most of the time. I think those would be great. Academy mm-hmm. Games has some. Uh, you, the Birth of America series is is fantastic, and it's 
there's not hex encounter but it gets you into a conflict game and if you're interested in history and and the idea of hex encounter stuff is intimidating to you i think those are great beginner games and i find those to be a lot of fun uh what's the hornspiel game table battles oh yeah yeah i didn't even think of that but sure you're not going to learn a whole bunch of, of tactics, but like you can get down and into action and, you know, doing something with historical flavor and chucking dice in no time. I mean, those are, those are fun. I don't know. There's, there's lots out there. And, and that's, I think goes back to why you want to start with the question, what topic interests you? Because if you tell me you want to play something in the ancient world, then we're going to, you know, we're going to talk Hannibal and Hamilcar or Rome or, uh, commands and colors ancients or, or something like that that allows me to hone it in then we don't have to worry about things like table battles or twilight struggle or, or stuff like that if it's i think topic should be the driving factor for anyone who's looking to get into this hobby yep great well great question derek i i know we've we've touched and bounced around that topic before but i don't think we've come out and said like these are our favorite beginner games and i don't know i think and i guess coin like coin could be fine especially if if you have that pilot who's kind of walking you through the steps and yeah i think, think i considered coin more intermediate um i think if, so too if you if you have no wargaming experience at all and you sit down and open up a box of coin i mean it it's it's gonna intimidate you oh maria maria is a three-player game that's which i think uh i kind of played maria right when i was getting into wargaming and the two people I played Maria with like had no interest in wargaming, and I think they picked it up just fine. It's it's different in a lot of ways than most things you play, but I think Maria is a good choice. Sure. Sweet. Uh, great question, Derek. Thanks for the email. So normally we'd have a featured game. We don't. This is just a reminder that September's featured game will be on to Richmond 2. That was decided by our Patreons over at patreon.com slash history table. And to make it up to those fine folks opened up the patron mailbag we didn't get to all the questions had a great response but rich we've got some questions yeah good questions especially this i like this first one because i'm just the way things are i'm playing almost 100 percent solitaire games right now okay well funny enough, not this meant question, for solitaire but that's all i'm playing them <laughs> this game this question came from rich not you <laughs> When you review games, how do you think trying them solo versus playing head-to-head affects your review and opinion? You want to take this one first? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like I said, most of the time right now I am playing solitaire. Um, but I don't... If a game is obviously not designed for solitaire, um, it's it's easy to recognize. Um, you know, when you and I reviewed Silver Bayonet, it's still got the asterisk quiet because we both yep. played that solitaire and that game is going to be leaps and bounds ahead. If you're not playing solitaire, it's got some solitaire rules that someone came up for it, but that's not what that game is made for. Last yep. month we talked about, you know, sort of like bucket list games that we haven't got to Vietnam 65 to 75. I can't really play that one solitaire. I mean, I could, but it's going to lose so much. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to punish a game if the solitaire component isn't there this just because that's the way i'm playing it you know i can usually tell um I, i'm always going to have a better opinion of a game if i do get to play it face to face but i'm not going to punish a game for not having a solitaire mode 
Yeah, I, I mean, we've talked about that, right? Like, uh, even if we're playing solo, we're playing designs game for games designed for designs gamed for <laughs> games designed for multiplayer and just playing them solo. I think we are both firmly in that camp. What's interesting is I've had games pop up where I'm playing solo and it's like this needs to switch to multiplayer immediately. Front toward enemy being one of the most the best examples of that. Um, just the hidden information in the jungle much like vietnam 65 75 it needs to be opposed yeah what just as a counterpoint i've also i've never been a fan of combat commander because my opposed plays have been rather disappointing and it's because of who i've played with and they were so sour to the experience that then that sours my game experience Mm. and so i think it's a great question and you do if you only play something solo then i do try to get in this mind frame of like imagining how it's going to work multiplayer and obviously that's not as good as the real thing but the the solo bias or 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 whatever the same thought process can be impacted from external forces when you're playing opposed you know your opponent's having a bad day their dice their dice rolling is shit you know it's oh it's that's like, the worst that's the worst right. when you're playing against someone and their die rolls are absolutely horrible and it's yeah. making you unhappy <laughs> yeah and it makes it a non-game right yeah. and so then you have to you know we try to play these games as much as as much as we can right but we're going month to month and so you know our time frame and, and we try to table them and and get a good feeling for the game but if you get an opposed game and then it becomes a non-game because their luck is so bad uh, you gotta, you gotta, gotta take that out of the equation. You can't always just re-rack like you can at home and, and just kind of like see, you know, like, oh, let's just redo that with a different die roll, which I do all the time, especially if I'm playing like a true sol- solitaire game, I'll, I'll cheat and redo the <laughs> die roll because I don't want to reset. All those Zeppelin uh, Raider games you're playing. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I think there's just like things like that can weigh in on both sides, but obviously ideally if I could, I would play every single game opposed that I could. It's just, um, that that's a timing thing but yeah I, I do try to keep it in mind if i if i'm just playing solo how a how a multiplayer game would yeah impact how i see the game there are a lot of solitaire only players out there that will get angry if a game doesn't have a solitaire mode yeah. or if it feels both bolted on or whatever I, I don't get that at all i mean not every game is a solitaire game that's just the way it is yeah, what's funny is then like people also get upset when solitaire games are or, like the solitaire mode is emphasized or whatever. And like, yeah, I get it. It's not for me. Like I just said, I threw out the solitaire stuff for those yeah. three small games. Like all the Dan Versen games, I'm not interested in those. I'm glad they're out there. Play them if you want them. Uh, the one game in that series that I've played, those leader games, I just did not think was interesting at all. So, yeah. Well, I just think if you're a modern designer. I, the pressure is on you to design for solitaire because yeah. well, that's money you're throwing away if you don't, right? Like there yep. are people who won't buy a game because of it. And so uh, solitaire considerations are important in this. They always have been, but now that we have this big community that's online and talking to people, it's like extra important. I feel like. Yeah. All right. So Bo and Don asked a couple of next war questions. Bo asked, how was the next war tournament scenario versus regular next war? And Don asked to end up winning. We'll start with Don's easy question first. Uh, congratulations to Wayne who won the overall tournament. I think Brian made a last ditch push to knock Wayne back, but was not able to uh, ultimately capitalize for the win. Um, 
Go yeah, to I Bo's just want to throw this in real quick. Um, yeah. If you are interested in the Next War tournament scenario, you should go to the Next War uh, Discord server because Mitch is setting an online tournament up as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, as far as how does it play versus regular Next War, I only play tested the early version of... I think there were some changes to what Mitch ultimately brought to the... And I only play tested it solo, so I did not play Next War Con this year. Neither uh, did I, but so... And I haven't played I, the scenario at all, so... Everyone I talked to really enjoyed it, and it seemed to be that it was scratching all the itches. Like, you still had the big opening barrages, and you still had aircraft to deal with, because it's using the advanced rules. Uh, I think the one, like, big difference with Poland is it it, abstra- it takes out all the naval stuff and, and the uh, uh, the other map. Yeah. I can't think of the name of it. So, like, oh, it's just focused on a much smaller area. So, it is very much next war just condensed and fast and furious and you're playing over three rounds it sounds so, amazing to me like i was saying last month when i was playing india pakistan my favorite next war games are the ones without the naval stuff which is weird coming from me yeah no well i'm right there with you and the report that i heard from the convention mostly was it was how strong how long the nato player could hold out before they got their reinforcements for a counter push mm-hmm and that so that's how the scenario seemed to be playing out almost universally i think there was one exception like to that where i think it may have been bill said that his nato forces no he was the russian forces and the nato player kicked his ass i'll let bill defend himself if if that's incorrect (laughs) but i think the overwhelming story was nato player holding out for as long as they could and then mounting a counteroffensive. And in terms of comparing that to regular next war, I think it played just like a regular next war game with this uh, uh, plot of of holding out as long as you could until you get some help. Yeah. So there you go. I know Mitch is t- based on what happened last weekend. He is tweaking it for this on upcoming tournament as well. So. Yeah, it sounded like there could be some easy tweaks, like a tie resulted in a NATO win, uh, things like that. Also. Like, it has to be – we just had some, like, issues with – and I get it, right? I've uh, Starkfest has always been this deal, like, come play what you want to play. And if you win your round and then you signed up for five other games because you thought you were going to lose, it makes it really hard. And so just from, like, a historic fest planning perspective, it would need to be uh, round robin. So it's like, okay, I'm going to play – I'm going to get there on Thursday. I'm going to do my first round. And then on Friday, I'm going to play one. And then Saturday, I'm going to play one. And then there's one championship based off best record on Sunday. And then, like, that allows you to play in your weekend. Because if, if we did single elimination, and then that's, like, so hard to plan around. Because what if you plan on play next war and then you didn't book anything else? So there was also overall tournament adjustments to be made. But, and the maps looked great. It was really cool to, to get the tournament maps. Yep. Yeah, that was nice and much to give us one <laughs> don also asked what was the most popular game played at historic fest so station fall had the most players <laughs> over the course of the weekend because it like plays i don't know six seven eight people or something like that and that got played twice uh next war had the tournament going on i don't know it's hard to say what the most popular was um some really cool stuff got shown off there Tano was Mano. no uh last turn yards tournament this year correct correct just the just the monster game okay but the new ed beach game tanto manta got demonstrated 
by Kirk who brought like a print and play copy. So that was like super interesting to see. I, it like depends on what, how are you gauging popularity? Like people's interest in seeing it. Um, I know people also asked a lot of questions about Plantagenets. A ton of sports simulation games got played. Um, BCS had the most play time because that was set up from Thursday through Sunday. It, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to like nothing. Pax Premier got, you know, three repeat plays. It, it, I don't know. Um, there's just a lot of really great, good stuff going on. And Virgin Queen sold out for registration right away so lots lots of good stuff bill asks what games if any will you play at a convention even if you don't particularly like but not actively hate to be around some of the people playing and then he brings up besides founding fathers in 1832 which are two games that he played with me so i don't know if he's saying that about himself or me but <laughs> what what game can you overlook who your opponents are basically so obviously it's going to be a multiplayer game more players the better i don't want to play face to face with just one-on-one versus someone that I don't really like. Um, But I mean, there are some games. Yeah. It's, and not only because of that, but because it's going to be a game that I probably won't otherwise get a chance to play or don't get to play as much. So, I mean, here I stand, I probably would twilight Imperium probably would. Um, Or, I mean, it could be something like a game that I have not played that I want to play something like, Virgin Queen or, you know, he said besides Founding Fathers, but that type of game where, you know, I, I'm not going to get to play it if I don't if I don't play it here this weekend. Yeah, well, I, I don't think he accepted Founding Fathers out because of the game. I think I he accepted Fathers yeah. so he didn't pick on Bill. But um, <laughs> yeah, so what's interesting is like you can go the nice route. You can go a here I stand and just like, oh, they got the Ottomans. I'll take the French because the French aren't going to interact <laughs> with the Ottomans, you know. Um, or you could take the Republican Roman founding fathers route and just like, I'm going to deny anything to them and I'm going to get in power and I will like, you know, which I guess is like the asshole route. I don't know. I don't like, I can suffer through most things, you know, like you're right. I probably wouldn't like play an ASL scenario with someone I, I didn't want to be around, but if, if I was in a game with someone and as long as it's like I'm not playing this for four days straight, then I'm gonna be fine. It's I'm not usually too worried about that. But if like I had to pick one, I think you hit it on the head. It's got to be like some once in a year multiplayer game, Onward Christian Soldiers. Oh yeah, that'd be a good one. And and probably Genesis. something designed for multiplayer as well. Yeah, Genesis. Yeah, because there again, like in Genesis, you're not you're activated you're interacting with your neighbors primarily especially at the start so you can just be like oh yeah i'll they're the babylonians i'll take someone on the other side of the map not my problem uh bill also asks what games are we mildly embarrassed to have not played easiest one for me empire of the sun still haven't played it oh yeah i think probably the easiest one for me is stalin guide 42 oh nice you know another one that pops up axis empire axis Axis and Allies, I've never played. I've played Axis. Oh, Empire. really? Okay. Axis, I've yeah. never played Axis and Allies in any form. Yeah. Uh, probably next on the list after Stalingrad would be any GBACW game. <laughs> I've got two yep. of them sitting here and haven't played either of them. <laughs> the one you should feel mildly bad about is Front Toward Enemy, because I think you would love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we always talk about that. It's, yeah, I always talk about I will. Well, very good. Uh, so we didn't get to every patron's question. 
because that's enough for tonight. But I appreciate it, and we'll save the rest for next time. If you want to send us a patron mail, there's a couple spots you can do it. You can do it on the patreon.com slash history table or in the patron uh, chat channels. Do a little call for that, but great questions. Appreciate them. All right. Technically, this is kind of the part where we're like, hey, if you're done, if you're here for the war games, you can go ahead and uh, shut it off. Of course, we don't actually want you to do that. We want you to stick around. But now we're going to talk about the non-historical uh, stuff, the rest of Historic Fest. We're going to talk about some spooky stuff coming up. Uh, of course, we'll probably mention some magic. I know we'll mention some magic because we played at Historic Fest. But yeah, uh, before before we talk about, you had Plantagenet here, mm-hmm. but I think we already talked about it. Yeah. Yeah, I just threw that on there because it's a game that I did not play. Right. But was obviously super excited to see there. So Yeah, great feedback from that. So mm-hmm. I played classic soccer with Don, and Don had sold me on this game when we were playing Bayonets and Tomahawks and I bought it and I, I started to dive into the rules and then I, I got away from it and dead simple game, but a million charts. And tells a great story. Like it it is soccer on the table and there's some quality of life improvements I'd make like headings at the top of columns and stuff. And it was great to have Don quarterback in it. Uh, but so this is a sports sim game. You buy uh you buy a season of teams from the guy and he emails you a whole PDF deal. Recommended if you like soccer, just know it's going to be chart heavy as far as like decisions you're making. Generally, you're just rolling dice, and then when you have possession, you're either going to keep the ball, short pass, long pass, shoot, aggressive keep, like aggressive advance. And so there's only six or seven decisions you're making, but it it goes quick, and it kind of like abstracts out some of the game. Like you'll get in – some things will take 30 seconds of time off the clock. Some things will take three minutes off the clock, depending on what they are. So it's not – in terms of sports sims, it's not the most – it doesn't have the most player agency, but I really enjoyed my time with it. It was good. Classic soccer. Cool. Awesome. This next one, you got to talk about QA next? Uh, Yeah, sure. Yeah, you guys looked like that well. was a lot of fun. <laughs> QA is ridiculous. And I'm glad I, I roped Rex into playing because Rex last year introduced me to Ponzi Scheme, which oh, yeah. is <laughs> relatively similar to QE, but QE is... Rich, you're going to auction off this this item, and that item will will get me a certain amount of victory points based off. It's like a set collection game, uh, is what you're auctioning off something for sets, and so it's worth two points base. But maybe if you have something else, it's worth three. If it matches your country, it's worth four for you. Whatever. Okay, that that's not the highlight of this game. The highlight of this game is you say you set a starting value. Rich, you can set that value at fifty nine dollars. You can set that value at $300 million. Doesn't matter. Money is completely important and unimportant in this game. And so you set the value. We all bid in secret. The winner gets the bid. Second place gets a commodity. Uh, We played with the commodities expansion, which I loved. And then the auctioneer gets like a tax write-off for the second place bid. And that tax write-off is subtracted from the total amount of money you spent at the end of the game. And if you spent the most money at the end of the game, you're out. Your points don't matter. So if you won every auction because you spent $1 billion and you have the most points, doesn't matter because you spent the most money, you're out. Yeah. And so you're weighing. What's funny is our, our bids always got more and more. Like you start out with 500 and then Nate had this like super idea. It's like, all right, let's get interesting. And he's like, 
$10,000. And then, of course, no one bid $10,000. So he spent $10,000 on his own item. Like, because no one's like, we're not going to do that. But then before long, all our bids were up over 10000 And so uh, it's this just riot of a game. It's an auction game where the money is just made up. It's kind of like whose line is it anyway? Yeah. Where the points don't, the money doesn't really matter, but it does because as long as you don't spend the most, you're golden. And so you're kind of like keeping track. You can look one time a game to see what the winning bid was, things like that. Uh, a blast. It's called QE. Super, super fun. Yeah. Everyone at the table looked like they were having a blast, which is why I wanted to talk about it, even though I didn't play. It goes, it goes pretty fast. Well, we even had Mike Denson playing. Oh, oh man. nice. We were, we were hooting and hollering. It, it was good. So close out the convention with 1832, which is in my top three 18xx games. 1832 The South. What's cool is you can merge two companies into a system, and I won't get into too many details there, but that just allows for shenanigans. You can like make it look like your system has to force buy, even though you have plenty of trains. So it allows you to like be aggressive in your train buying. Uh, the track lane's great. Always enjoy my plays of 1832. Before Historic Fest, I'd played 1832 on the old um, pre-games way of playing 18xx online. Mm-hmm. Uh, love it. Is uh, that one on? The, is 32 on dot .games? It is not on dot .games. Okay. And I'm selfishly, I'd be perfectly okay if it never showed up because it's a once-a-year treat for me now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I would still love this game. I like, I like the privates. I like the map. I like the track lane. I like the train roster. I like the systems. It's it's a great game. And it also helps that I am the two-time, two-time <laughs> reigning 1832 champion. And we had, what's great is last year we had Lynn uh, come up from Jeff City. Mm-hmm. And he came up again this year and, and played. And it's just, uh, it's just, it was a blast. 1832 rocks. Recommend it. Real quick, I played Songbirds. That was a very fun kind of... Uh, it reminds me a lot of Arboretum, which is one of my favorite games, period, but it's also one of my favorite little card games where you're deploying these cards strategically to like try to figure out what color of birds is worth the most points. And so like you're laying down your blue birds to make blue worth the most points, but you're only going to score the last card you're holding. And so it's this interesting... I'm deploying cards, deploying cards. What do I hold back? While at the same time, maybe you want to deny your opponent, and, and it's this kind of back and forth as you ultimately get to playing your last card. Super light, but um, I liked it. Brandon showed it to me on the opening night of the convention, and it was great. Songbirds. Cool. Never heard of that one. That's fun. And then you kicked our ass in Commander. Yeah. Which like You steamrolled Emmy and I. Yeah, I did. Uh, I think that was with the, uh, a new deck that I knew. That's the thing. One of the things I like about commander though, is that like, if you get a new deck out, you, I, I don't even look through it. I don't even want to know what's in it. I want yeah. to be as surprised as you are when I play a card. <laughs> yeah. yeah it was, but it was the, a I had deck. one that just, it was a deck that I just bought just a pre-made deck and yeah, it, it worked out well that time. Next time I'll get steamrolled. So <laughs> Mitch and I did play some pre-modern magic, which was sweet. I think he really liked my Oath of Druids deck, which basically, like, as I deployed creatures, it allowed him to go find one of the two creatures in his deck that just did big damage. Um, We had a lot of fun. We played, I don't know, four or five games of pre-modern one morning before we opened up the room, and it was good. Yeah. I noticed, uh, like, on the Discord channel, I I haven't played against anyone on the Discord at all in 
probably months. I just I just knock out my dailies on Magic Arena and then that's it for the day. Yep. Yep. I will draft. I've been hoarding my coins up so I can draft Throne of Eldraine, which comes out next yeah. Friday. I draft um, one time every month just so that I can, you know, get the extra deck at the end of the month. Yeah. I'm so yeah, bad well, at drafting. I don't know what'll be good in Thrones of Eldraine, but the set looks to be really awesome. So I'm looking forward to drafting that online. And I, yeah, I think I found like one time I drafted Lord of the Rings. We talked about this. And I was like, oh, that's really strong. And then I just kept every time I drafted, I just kept drafting those colors, and it worked out. <laughs> so as long as as long as your first hit, you draft into a good deck archetype, then yeah. you know what to what colors to go for. Yeah, that's that's always my issue. Is I'm not, I'm not. I don't know if it's. I honestly don't know if it's because I don't know what cards well enough to know what to look for or whatever, but often I'll just get into something and I just, by the, by the third round of the draft, all I'm doing is just trying to match colors and I'm probably missing out on good cards. (laughs) Well, I don't know what to say other than no worries. It's all fake money. Anyway, fake money and fake gems. That's right. That's right. All right. Anything else about historic fest before we, we close up with a, few other things looking forward to next year i think next year the whole family's gonna come that's awesome yeah yeah it seemed like it seemed like your daughter had a good time i think next year the like multiplayer programming uh i know twilight imperium 4 is gonna happen i know virgin queen's gonna happen again might as well there's gonna be there's got to be another ed beach game in there whether i'm running here i stand or or something like that maybe border reavers you know border reavers got played uh, th- this weekend or last weekend yeah, as well. I saw it um, there. Cthulhu Wars to close out one of those nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe we can strong arm Rex. And, uh, you know, I know he already runs it a couple times a year, but maybe he'll do a historic fest Republic of Rome with his tricked out copy as well. That would be really sweet. That'd be awesome. Maybe I'll run an RPG. That'd be a good night game next year. Yeah, absolutely. I had a blast doing that last year. So I too am looking forward to. Storkfest 2024. We're already hitting the ground rolling, doing everything we need to uh, behind the scenes, considering a few other locations, mixing it up a little bit, allow us to do some new things. But well, yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll find somewhere, and it'll it'll be good. Looking forward to it. All right, Rich. Last few years, you and I have talked about spooky season each year, and uh, yeah, I'm maybe that time. I'm maybe a little premature, but that. That beautiful weather right before and during the first half of Historic <laughs> Fest put me in the fall mood, and so I'm I'm uh, I'm reading spooky stuff already. I'm back. I'm re-listening to Old Gods of Appalachia. Oh yeah, started from from the beginning. Maybe uh maybe that'll be the RPG next year. Maybe I'll have my PDF by then. Well, so you can go get your PDF now. Can I? Okay. You can, yeah, you can get your P- so they're doing this weird thing. I have my PDFs. I do not have my books. I walked into the game store last week, and there was Old Gods of Appalachia on the book. I don't have my book, but like I could have grabbed it off the shelf. But I, you like check out through Monty Cook Games for what you want, and then you process it, and then they send it to you. And so, like, I didn't realize this. I, I like added everything to my cart, and I checked out, and then I paid nine bucks for shipping, and I got the metal coins. I emailed them. I'm like, what the hell? Where are my books? And they're like, oh no, you just processed. We're not, we're not to the, the books that you ordered yet. So you just processed your coin. So it's like, okay, so I need to pay $9 again when my books are finally ready. And yeah, that's the case. So you have to like go check out through Monty Cook's website again. Ah, I got it. I guess I didn't pay enough attention because I did PDF only. So 
Oh yeah. Well, I didn't pay attention either, and then I like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> and, and then like after they send that resp- response emails when I was in tabletop, it's like, oh, there's a copy of Old Gods. Don't have mine yet, which is too bad. I it's the printer's fault, is what my understanding. Like I got the I don't know alternate cover one because I love this stuff. I do like the PDFs. It's it's pretty sweet. I'm excited to do something with it. So that's got me in the the spooky season fall y'all mood. What are your you got any plans this fall? Like you got anything on the horizon that you're particularly interested in reading or, or doing for spooky season this fall? No plans yet. I haven't really thought about it. It's still too hot, but yeah, <laughs> we'll have if you got my wife and I are currently reading together the uh the second book of the the King Killer trilogy, which the nice. third will never come out. This is like my fourth or fifth read of it, like <laughs> including listens and actual reads. I just I love the the series so much but we'll we'll probably finish that up in a couple weeks and then we'll be looking for something else so um i don't know we really enjoyed um i i would like to find something along the vein of uh was it was it between two fires is that what it was called yeah yeah Yeah. something along the lines of that one we were both crazy about that one so not quite as good as between two fires but the author does have other other books and mm-hmm. those across the river was very good okay um shorter but i think that's you can check that one out on i don't remember if i i think i read read that one i don't think i listened to that one um but it was a super fast read and i patrick was mentioning he listened to it on audio and they he has other books so you might want to check out some of the other stuff he's done because they all look good particularly I'm live Google. So last couple years for spooky season, I've done Michael McDowell stuff and he's the writer of Beetlejuice. He passed away. And the first thing I read of his was the elementals, which was yes. amazing. Yeah. And we then, read that one too. So good. I did the whole Blackwater saga, which is a 30 hour Southern Gothic masterpiece. Yeah. And this year I'm doing cold moon over Babylon. And I'm about a third of the way through that so far. And that is not, I wouldn't say it's as good as Elementals, but I'm enjoying it as much. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's so far is about a death of a girl in the places that you would expect from Elementals and the Blackwater Saga. Uh, The other other book from Christopher Buhlman that I was want to read is called The Black Tongue Thief. I believe Jason read that one and, and highly recommended it. And I assume just based off everything I've read from him is going to be kind of in the same vein, some kind of horror vibes. And so, yeah, black tongue thief. Cool. Yeah. I'll have choices. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm probably, yeah. So watch some spooky stuff. We're having some friends over next week. And we'll probably watch something spooky as well. I yeah. mean, it's, I know it's way too early, but I'm like, I'm in like full. Yeah. Halloween mode already. My 14-year-old is super into spooky stuff, so we're always on the lookout for a good thriller-slash-horror movie that's not gory. So Yeah. we've I mean, we've seen a bunch of good ones. We've found some fantastic ones, stuff I'd never even heard of that we've loved, but always on the lookout for more. Good, 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 good. And she's actually starting up a D&D group, too, so she's she's the newest dungeon master. Nice. Yeah, I'm so proud well, of her. and I do have some uh, spooky RPG stuff on the horizon that'll that'll show up on Black Lodge Trivia Night, I'm sure, with some little one shots and other goodness for spooky season. But yeah, 
All right, Rich, you got anything else, buddy? No, I think that's about it for me. All right, folks, that is going to do it for us. We will be back next month with On to Richmond 2. In the meantime, if you want to check us out, hang out with us, talk to us, whatever, you can go over to go down to the show notes and click the link to join our Discord server. Conveniently, the featured game for the Kansas City Historical Gaming Group, which meets on the last Saturday of each month. We're not meeting in August. We're meeting on September 30th will be GCACW. So whether that's on Richmond 2, whether you know it or not, you'll be able to jump into a game, carve out a little command, or fire up your own game. Uh, we meet, meet at Tabletop Game and Hobby. We'll be playing some GCACW. Come check that out on the 30th. And yeah, there's more details on that in our Discord. So go down to the show notes, click on that, hop in the Discord, go introduce yourself, do all those things. We're on, uh, there's at History Table, on, on X, Twitter, whatever. I'm now on Blue Sky, <laughs> like all the cool kids, all that shit. So yeah, you can find us, but the best place is always Discord. Did I miss anything, Rich? No. All that he said is ways to find him. Just find me on Discord. Or come to, well, I can't even say come to the St. Louis Gaming Day because I keep having conflicts. Yeah, if you go there, you'll see Mitch and Bruce, but hopefully I'll be back at one of those one day. There you go. So yeah, you can play games with Shine locally if, you, if you're in the area. But yeah, that's going to do it for us, folks. Have a good night. Good night, everyone.